Welcome to your mandatory wellness session. I'm your host, Anoop. And I'm your other host, Samir. Samir, how is it going? <laughs> I thought you were going to do a, like, how is it going? Like, I did that, like, last time, so oh, I, I see. changed okay. up the cadence. Right. <laughs> you wanted to, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'd say it's going, you know, normally I say it's going all right, or I say not bad. I'll say it's going solidly. Solidly. A solid, not liquid, nor gaseous. <laughs> not yet. And not, certainly not plasma or Bose-Einstein condensate, so. Definitely not. Yeah, that would be Fuck. very surprising <laughs> if we're Bose-Einstein condensate. Because <laughs> I would be dead, because I'd be at near absolute zero. Yes, yes, and that would be the main issue with it. Yeah, not sure. that that metaphor doesn't make any sense for right. some of them. Right, that's also true. Uh, well, I think that was a pretty solid phases of matter bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Is that check- why you're in a good mood? Because you've yeah. been thinking about the phases. Yeah, of yeah, we, we can check that off our list for the podcast. Every episode, people probably don't know this. Every week, we have a list of sort of talking points you want to hit. Mm-hmm. And this week, first on the list, phases matter. So yeah, we we got it out of the way early, which is nice, you know. Right. Well, first and foremost, this is an educational program, right? So of course, we it do is. have to hit all of the topics. Well, it, it's always very hard when there is a topic that you know is going to be difficult to work in, and we sort of are putting it off, and we're like getting to like fifty minutes, fifty five, and it's like, oh damn, like what are we going to do? And that's what happened, as you know, in episode uh, I believe nine, where lionesses were was really high. <laughs> on the list of things right. we have to talk oh about. Oh my god. I was, remember it, I was sitting there, I was like, so here we gotta get to we it. Gotta get, we gotta get to Linus's. I mean how we must we have done like twenty takes at the end of the podcast. Oh my god, you're like, how can I make this like come in in a way that seems natural? Right, no, right. Well it, the worst part is like, you know, we finished it, we sent it off to the producer and he's right. like, hey you guys didn't hit Linus's. I'm like, no, I swear thirty minutes in we talked about Linus and he's like, no, you didn't. And the rest of the podcast, you know, it's so tightly edited. It is, right. And it it came together so well. It's so precise, you know. Right. So he's like, put it in at the end. So, you know, we get together for a pickup session. Obviously, that's a whole nightmare. Getting our agents, getting scheduled. It's it's very tough. It's tough. Our careers have really taken off since this podcast has been such a wild hit. Yeah. I I recently, because of uh, one of our episodes was so popular uh, at NASA, actually, I was um, was just up at the space station. So I had to come. I had to cut my my, my trip up there short. Right. Uh, because the, the the satellite connection is not good enough um, oftentimes to do a podcast. We've tried before. Yeah. Inevitably, you know, like there will be like some sort of interference and, we're, you know, we, it, we lose connection. So I had to cut that trip short. Fortunately, the Soyuz capsule was there. So I was able to get in it, come on down. But then, you know, I had to touch down and then I had to, like, you know, clear me. Then sure. I had to get on, you know, then, then we had to get back on the chat and then record. And so that, and that was the reason for the big delay last week. Right, right. For the, mainly that. The whole returning <laughs> from sort of space sort of thing. It. That uh, was the reason. So, And then, you know, he got back and then well, we were just both so tired. So we were like, oh, you know, we take a week off. <laughs> right, right. So there you go. There you go. Yes, yes. Sabir, how's how's life? How's life outside of the hospital? Yeah, it's not bad. I, I will say space is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, space has that effect. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. You really you learn how small we all are. It's true. It's true. In space, yeah. no one can hear you podcast. No. The... Because of the satellite connection. <laughs> right, because of the satellite connection. First satellite. and foremost. Connection. Well, yeah, I mean, right. they can hear your podcast, but it's going to be out of delay. It's going right, to feel weird. Right, so. exactly. It's not no. natural. Yeah, no. Um, I, I'd say overall, overall, life's been good. I just finished a three-month block, which I've probably mentioned multiple times at, at one of our hospitals, which which is um, overall a good experience. I think I probably mentioned our, our volume was slightly on the lower side, just I think due to COVID. 
Um, I think outpatient surgeries were lower than they would have been normally, which is understandable that patients are not doing that as much, you know, is what it is. But overall, I think it was, it was a good experience. I got along super well with my chief resident who was, I was on with, and it was a really fun experience. I'm now on a research block for this first week or so. I'm in at one of the hospitals sort of helping out with one of the junior residents kind of with their transition to, you know, being on that service basically as a solo resident. But then in general, I'll be on research this block, which which is nice. I need to focus in on that research and really start getting to work on it, which does require me to uh, make a schedule for myself and stick to it. Something I've historically been excellent at, as you know, so this should be no problem at all. There's two things I know about Samir. It's that he can make a schedule and he can stick to it. You know, the first one is actually very true. I'm very good at making schedules, actually. I'm excellent because it's it's sort of like a a fun, it's like I get to use Excel. I get to color code things. I have a great time. Right, right, right. It's kind of like a fun project. It is. A pure work of fiction, of course, but a fun project. What I enjoy about schedule making is it makes me feel a lot better. Because at the end of it, I'm like, oh, look at this fucking schedule I made. Wow. I'm going to get all yeah. this work done. As long as I stick to this, which I won't. <laughs> <laughs> right. But at the at the time when I make it, oh, I feel great. Oh, it's yeah. an, an incredible feeling. You know, I did stick to one schedule one time. And it was for step one. I mean, I was always, I was always a little bit off. But, you know, I, I made a schedule and I stuck to it. My goodness, it, it broke me. Truly. <laughs> it's a truly unpleasant experience. I think the worst thing about step one is kind of afterwards, whenever you get your score back, and if you, know, if you feel good about your score, the worst thing is to know that that is a thing that you can do. And from henceforth, you are choosing not to do it. Right, right. I'm cho- like, it's not that I just, you know, I just don't have the ability to really focus in. It's like, no, 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 I, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. But uh, but turns out, unless I, the key I have to turn in that lock is enough pressure to create a diamond. <laughs> right, right. Uh, which is a super, not really a thing I feel, you know? <laughs> right. So, but overall, yeah, overall, overall been pretty, pretty good. You know, I, I think I've said this before, you know, we took the step one and then afterward there's a step two. And I think to me, one of the strangest parts about step two CK, which is the written part, is that step one is eight hours long. And step two, for some reason, is nine hours long. Because I guess the one thing people were clamoring for, they're like, oh, man, I had such a great time on step one. I wish it had been slightly longer. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, I wish just eight close, but not quite good enough. You know, the thing is, a bunch of those people on that final little survey you do when your brain is <laughs> essentially mush. <laughs> I mean, more just mush like, than it usually is. <laughs> yeah, um, I during it, I just remember I had a lot of, like, clear odoria during it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Presumably CSF, but who can say? <laughs> yeah, I got this, it's like, it's kind of like having a sinus headache during the exam, where just by the end of it, my face just felt weird. Like, I just couldn't focus on anything anymore. I was numb in all types of places. It was strange. And I, you take that survey, and there is that button, like, oh, did you feel as though you had enough time? I bet people are just saying, no, I wish I had more time. Right, and it's being misinterpreted, and they're like, we should give you more time. Exactly. Well, more time, have all the time in the world. (laughs) Right, it's like monkey paw curls. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A lot of people don't know that the USMLE is uh, run by a bunch of evil genies. So, you know, if you ask for something, it's kind of like with Step 2 CS, where people said, this is a useless exam. Nobody even fails it. So they're like, oh, you're right. More people will fail now. (laughs) Honestly, you said it and I was like, okay, funny. But actually, thus far, you've created two very convincing pieces of evidence and I'm on board. (laughs) It's a, you know, it's Jafar, essentially. (laughs) Jafar in the second movie. Sure. Oh, right, right. I was like, oh, yes. I mean, right, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people forget that he becomes an evil genie in so, the so second let's see, movie. Yes, the second one is Return of Jafar. 
And then th- third one is King of Thieves. Am I, is that correct? King of Thieves. Yeah, King Jafar Thieves, not so. involved in that one. Right. Right. Is yeah. Jafar not that, in that one at all? I don't think so. I don't remember. How does the second one end? I know the third one is all about Aladdin's dad, I think, right? Who's the king of thieves? Uh, the second one ends, uh, Iago turns to the good side and kicks Jafar's lamp into a pool of lava. Oh, wow. Uh, killing Jafar, yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Wow. I don't remember It's pretty that. dramatic. A lot of people, you know, they don't think about it. Return of Jafar? Not the worst movie of the world. Yeah, huh. I, yeah. Well, because both those two are direct-to-video, right? The second and third one? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one, Robin Williams actually came back to do. He had not done the second one, though the oh, genie yes. is in the movie. It's voiced by somebody else, but he right, came back right, to right, do right. it. And I've heard the third one's particularly good. I had Return of Jafar on VHS, so I, I think I, Yeah, I've seen King of Thieves. I remember it being good. I, I don't totally remember the plot, but I remember it being reasonable. But then once again, last time I watched it, I was probably like, eight so who can say it could have been yeah. garbage you know if only there was like a podcast out there where people like went back and watched things that they did when they were kids to see if they held up someone should make that no it's too bad it doesn't exist <laughs> anyways all right yeah. i guess you could call it most things that you think about from your past are not that great yeah like are, are your recollections are inferior to reality yeah that's better right. it's a little pithier yeah a little wordy yeah i yeah, will work on yeah. it <laughs> workshop workshop Okay, so uh, we can cross Return of Jafar off the list. We hit that, which is good. <laughs> oh, actually, really nice. King of Thieves is actually on for next week. So I think we can remove that as well. I mean, from next week's list. Are oh, we allowed to, do you think? Oh, or? the writer's room is going to be pretty mad at us yeah. about that one. They don't like us when we get ahead. But I, I'm just trying to be efficient so that we can take another four weeks before we record. The fact that they had two different Aladdin sequels on subsequent weeks is actually... I mean, that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's... It's continuity, you know. It's I, like you I, I guess, but yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they expected us to stop with just Return of Jafar is a little crazy. I know. Well, it, you know, it begs. You know, if you say Return of Jafar, the viewer in their mind is like, okay, but th- now they're going to say King of Thieves, King right? Of Thieves. Like, it's the of natural thing to say. What else would you it's say? A, it's, an a, it's an A to B sort of thing. Right, you know, you right. just got to do it. Obvious yeah. next step, so. Yeah, yeah. How have, uh, <laughs> how have things been for you? <laughs> I mean, pretty great in the last few minutes, honestly. <laughs> I'm having a great time. I don't care what the listeners think. This is a good podcast. Good um, <laughs> no, life's busy. I'm on IR right now. I'm in the hospital all the time. It's great. Just cranking out cases. It's a fun time. My weekends have been pretty clear. I successfully managed to reschedule most of my diagnostic radiology call out of my IR block. I can kind of just focus on IR for this period of time, which is very nice. My weekends have been free also because of that. Because the worst thing is like, it's a five-day week ton of hours while you're on ir if you then have to come in and do dr on the weekend it's like pretty rough so that's all good outside of the hospital life is proceeding uneventfully in a good way nothing too exciting bad or good (laughs) otherwise yeah i've been trying to do this thing it stopped because of ir but i was trying to do this thing where i find out various people's favorite movies and see one if i've seen them before and if i haven't watch them myself you asked me about a couple of them have you been watching some of those movies a few of them a few of the weirder ones i've been watching and then randomly jurassic park was on netflix i think oh, it's already god that's, that's a great that's a great, it's a great movie yeah great movie. i rewatched jurassic park that movie slaps man it's, it's a, so it's, good it's a really good movie no i i watched it when i was kind of young and it was pretty scary but it's i mean i remember it being a very good movie it really works. It really works. What I, you know, obviously you remember all the moments that are kind of memes and all the stuff that's been referenced to high hell. Sure. But like the beginning of that movie is legit just people kind of debating science and it's great. It's a very nice setup for the movie because I guess 
I guess going in, I'm not sure at the time when the movie was made, people understood. Like, I feel like people must have realized the premise was going to involve like dinosaurs being alive and like attacking shit. Presumably, people realized that premise. But the first like half an hour of that movie is entirely just like a very slow build, and it's as far as I remember, they don't like rush it. They're like in no hurry to get where they're going. No, no. It actually it breaks bad at exactly the hour mark. It takes a while, and then it doesn't stop. Yes, exactly. So uh, what I did is I sat down with a friend. Uh, we were going to play Fall Guys, which is a relatively new video. It's probably like the newest video game that I've played in so long. As with all new video games, the servers shit the bed. So didn't play that. Uh, and then we were just like, well, we're already hanging out. Do you want to like just watch something on Netflix? So we put on our headphones and turned something on Netflix and just teed it up so that we were watching it at the same time. Oh, cool. And we figured Jurassic Park since... Both of us had seen it. It's like a thing you can kind of talk through and watch. And then we watched the first hour and we were like, oh, this is like really great. So we split it up hour and hour just because the way our schedules worked, we we had to do that. But it was great. It was a really good experience. It's also a fun way to watch a movie. I mean, obviously, it's uh, not the same as just like having a friend over, sure. making some popcorn and watching a movie, but not a bad way to pass an evening. No, solid. Speaking of having friends over, I had a couple co-residents over uh, yesterday, one of whom listens to the podcast, mm -hmm. and they had just listened to episode eight, uh, in which we talk about uh, toasting buns, amongst other things. And I was mostly making... that, though. right? Mostly that. <laughs> that was and... in bold on the list. So <laughs> right. That was it. Was very important. Yeah. And I was making burgers, among several things. And then there was just, like a whole thing in which this friend was like roasting me. About the did fact. you toast your buns? Yeah, I did. I did. Once okay. again, last time, it's not that I don't like doing it. It was that the people I was with didn't have a particular preference. So I just didn't. But once again, I agree with your point. I shouldn't have even given them the option. I realize that now, okay? The point is, I was like, Please, why, are you, why are you quoting my own podcast at me? This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what a podcast fundamentally is, is ammunition with which other people can hurt you. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. I had them over and made a bunch of drinks. It was a good time. Did you, you made burgers again? I did. Mm -hmm. Would you say burgers are like your go-to? I would say, I would say they're my go-to. I, I would think just for having some people over, it's like a, I think it's a very classic thing to make. And I think the particular burgers I make, I, I, I really like them as well. And so I think, yeah, so I, I think kind of defaulted to that. I guess I haven't really had like a dinner party in the way, not that's a thing we can like do anymore, like an actual dinner party, but I guess I haven't done it, had people over where it's like, a more like a standard sit down type of thing with like multiple different like dishes like this was a bunch of like appetizers like i mean i made like guacamole i made salsa uh i made some shrimp that had some like charcuterie related things i made, made a bunch of cocktails and then it was like did some burgers later in the night yeah that's actually the thing i have the hardest time with I, part of it's being single but like when you host a dinner party i always get very fixated on the entree and the dessert but then like appetizers or like salads all the stuff that goes around it i'm I always just like i don't know what to do because like everything takes time so like getting guac or getting salsa always works stuff like that but that's usually where i drop the ball i feel like they're not actually like making them actually did not take that long and i feel like the return on investment was pretty good in terms of like the amount of time spent so like it, it, it felt like a solid move plus i think it's, just, it's a very classic thing to just snack on which pretty much everybody likes so guac is great yeah, no, yeah. it was it was For good. a person who lives in California, I do not make guac dearly as well. Which would be every day. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that might add up after some time, but you know. No, no, no. It's good fat. It's good fat. Yeah. It's good fat. It's good fat. I say immobile in bed. It's good fat. I'm good fat. They said it was good fat. 
those bastards. Yeah, they lied to me. So, what is your favorite dish to make for other people? Would it be burgers or? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see. I'll just say things I like making for other people in like period. I I really do enjoy playing bartender and making lots of drinks. I one, it's just fun getting people kind of drunk. It's just sort of enjoyable. Um, two. I think making good cocktails is actually not that difficult. It just takes like some effort. You have to like squeeze like limes and stuff and actually pay close attention to like proportions and, you know, put a little effort into how you like serve them, etc. But they can look very nice and like taste very good. And I think most people just don't do it. And so I think that's like fun to do. In terms of like actual things to make, uh, I feel like burgers is a really solid one I really enjoy. And then various like shrimp dishes. I like my my family makes a lot of shrimp. Or like my actually my dad does. My dad's the cook in the family, and uh, I they're all I'd say very good. And so certainly so some of them I just particularly like. So, but once again, I think historically I've not done a great job of like having people over. And like whenever I do, I really enjoy it. But I just don't think to be like, oh, I should like plan and do this. You know? Yeah, I used to do it more, and I did it more with roommates. Essentially, yes. like if my yeah. roommate feels like joining in on it, then it's like, okay, let's do this. So back in college, I used to have people over and me and my roommate would just cook like these crazy meals. We made a pizza with burgers in the middle. We made chicken fried steak. We made pierogies, like all this stuff. Just all anytime we wanted to try something new, we just have people over to feed it to them. It was fun. It's a good time. I like dinner parties. If I have a significant other who is also into that, I will probably do that a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, preferably if they're into making appetizers, it'll be a match made in heaven. Thinking about dinner parties, uh, I don't have a dining table just because it wouldn't fit into my apartment well. Uh, so I normally eat uh, either at my counter or on my couch. Um, and so within your apartment, where do you normally eat? Yeah, I usually just eat in the kitchen. Like I go, I take something out of the freezer, heat it up, and then eat it standing over the sink. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> Crying. No, no, no. I have exactly one spot in my apartment that I exist, and it's my couch. I, I go back to the couch to eat. It's great. It's very comfortable. Not at all sad. It's interesting. It seems when you're talking about it, like you're using some defense mechanisms to I discuss. Have no idea what you're talking about? <laughs> discuss I your, your. I refuse your segue that relies <laughs> on my emotional vulnerability. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have. Maybe you should have chosen a podcast in which the premise is basically us being vulnerable. So. Ah, oh, goddamn it! You know, we should do that other podcast. We were talking about. <laughs> right. Shitty recollections or something like that. I forgot. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Very similar. Let's avoid this topic and talk about coping. Mechanisms. Perfect. Perfect. Avoid it. This is our, our second episode in our series on coping mechanisms. Last time we talked about humor. So this time we're taking it in kind of the opposite direction in a way. And we're talking about intellectualization. Right. Uh, in that case, we intellectualized humor and ruined it. This time we're going to try to make intellectualization funny and also ruin it. We'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excellent. Uh, I, I like this one in particular because I do think it's something that uh, is very common in our field amongst residents and otherwise. Let's talk about intellectualization. Intellectualization, I think, is a particularly interesting defense mechanism. And I, and I, I don't remember if we talked about this in detail last time, but when studying for the step one as part of kind of the psych area or just as a part of our psych unit, we talk about defense mechanisms. And there's a whole laundry list of them. And they're normally sorted into immature and mature mechanisms. And the mature ones include things like humor and altruism, sublimation, suppression is one of them, different from repression. And interestingly, one of the immature ones is intellectualization. And that, I remember at the time of learning it, actually kind of threw me off. Because it didn't feel like an immature defense mechanism the same way something like projection 
or displacement or oppression does. Um, right? Because intellectualization is basically you're in some sort of emotionally charged or distressing situation and your reaction is to sort of break it down into this sort of logical, these logical steps, this logical approach to it in order to deal with it. And that feels like a very natural impulse for me. I was honestly mildly offended. I was like, that's not immature. That's a very reasonable way to respond to something. I imagine you've probably had a similar experience. Yes, I think so. I think it's natural, particularly for people in medicine, to think that intellectualization is a very useful way of looking at a situation, Uh, mostly because that's what we do 24-7. So why wouldn't it work in a situation of emotional distress, right? It's also, it's frequently listed under neurotic coping mechanisms. And well, that, well, that tracks. <laughs> no shocker, things that appeal to neurotic people appeal to people in medicine. <laughs> Who would have guessed, right? The Venn diagram is a circle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just 100% of people. Just a circle. <laughs> yes. I think it can be kind of particularly annoying to people like us, because I don't know if we think of ourselves as particularly neurotic. I mean, I think I, I, think I do. I mean, I think I... Not always, but I, I think I definitely have neurotic tendencies. I, I think it would be a bit dishonest to suggest otherwise. But I, well, think there are, right. I think there are people who are certainly more neurotic within medicine. Sure. But initially, particularly during medical school, I didn't think of myself that way. It's only through a certain amount of growth that I've come to realize that like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm a little neurotic as well. But it strikes you as odd initially. But then as you look into intellectualization and you experience it yourself, you start to realize that like, how much it fails you as a coping mechanism. Really just breaking down the fundamental components of something doesn't actually help you cope with the fact that it occurred. Usually you're just using that as a way to not think about it anymore. Yeah. Thinking through the last two plus years of residency, do you feel like there have been particular times where, I'm sure this has happened not infrequently, but can you think of any particular time where you've kind of used intellectualization as your defense mechanism? And you've discovered that it's really come up short for you? I find it more in my personal life than I do in residency. But it it does come up in residency a lot. I think my classic example of intellectualization, this may be a phrase I've already said on the podcast, is that insight doesn't equal change. Yeah. That understanding something doesn't make you change who you are. So I've had a lot of issues with sort of my diet in my life. And I very much understand how to eat a healthy diet. I know pretty well how to do that. And I know a lot about like healthy eating, exercise, all this stuff. But just because I know that it hasn't actually inspired me to do the things necessary to do that. Sure. So in that way, like intellectualization hasn't helped me. In residency, it's the same with sort of studying or whenever I feel like academically inferior, I will like research study tools. I'll be like, oh, let me look up study tools. But then I don't actually do all of them or many of them or even any of them uh, because <laughs> at, ver- at a variety of times. Because fundamentally, my issue was not a lack of study tools. You know, like intellectualization has been like, oh, well, you're not studying. Therefore, you haven't found the right tool. So let's look up the right tool. But no, that's not actually the issue. And so the intellectual approach to it fails you in that in that way. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think actually that's a very good point. It actually dovetails with something we were talking about earlier in the podcast about the idea of making a schedule and something I was obviously kind of joking about. But it's true. I'm not sure that exactly fits the definition, but I think it falls under the general umbrella of intellectualization, right? Of sort of wanting to do something that feels like you're making a logical step toward 
you know, a change without necessarily having a meaningful difference in, in the end result. Um, I think within residency, it comes up particularly with feelings of like inadequacy. In the OR, you're not doing something well, let's say, and you feel like you're like, oh, I'm not at the level I should be at. And I think one could argue that could be just because you're not like you haven't like practiced enough or, or what have you. But I, I think my initial reaction is one of like feeling bad, right? Because I'm like, oh, I look like an idiot. And then the second reaction is the sort of breakdown of like, okay, well, I just need to like practice more and do this thing. And then I, I get so wrapped up in that thought process that I don't think I necessarily actually, I think I can get so wrapped up in that that I actually miss the broader point of you need to like figure out your like emotional circuit there that your response cannot be just a spiral. Because my response is immediately trying to be like, oh, how do I like fix this thing? Instead of just being like, well, just like sit in it for a second and like figure out how to like just process your actual feelings about this. Right, right. right. So using suppression, which would be the mature coping mechanism, which is like, okay, I need to take some time, think about this when I'm not immediately in the moment. Right, right, exactly. Instead of just trying to like break it down and be like, well, what am I, you know, like, once again, what makes this tricky for me is I think there's a line, right? I think that is useful. Being able to have sort of active, instant self-feedback and critique in order to try to improve while you're doing something is important and i think is one component of how you do get better but on the flip side i think if you do it too much then i yeah i i think you risk kind of missing the forest for the trees or kind of just like not being in the moment you know i'm not sure how coherent that was exactly but it's sort of a thing i've noticed before and i once again i'm not sure if it exactly falls under it but i think it's under the general umbrella no yeah i mean you're definitely you're distracting yourself from your emotions with this intellectualization, but you're also distracting yourself from the situation at hand. By immediately pulling yourself away from your emotions, you kind of ignore them and you're supporting sort of a negative thought cycle. Oh, I feel anxious because I'm not doing well enough, so I'm going to think about all the ways I can do better instead of addressing the fact that you feel anxious, which that's actually the core issue there. It's not necessarily that you're not doing good enough that may be an issue in and of itself but like you shouldn't feel bad about yourself because of it imagine if you were talking to a friend and the friend voices a problem and your first thought is to think of a solution of that problem and this is a classic like sitcom trope they don't need you to solve the problem for them they need you to just listen it's like that but you're doing it to yourself where you're like you're so busy trying to solve the problem that you don't even just live with the actual feeling that you're having and try to address that instead of it being a problem it's like oh i feel bad because i failed and that's why i feel bad no it's it's more complex than that right yeah exactly and so i think from a a self-reflection and insight standpoint i think that is where it has come up for me i think it comes up a lot in medicine in general uh, on two fronts right there's the classic which is sort of the very educated and aware patient who wants to know all the specific stats on like prognosis and rates of like remission or what have you with various different treatments, which I think are all things that are valid, right? For me, I think if I had, let's say a cancer diagnosis, I think that would be my response. I want to, I want to go in eyes open. I don't want to suggest that a patient wanting to know that information is wrong for doing so. But I think The concern is if you're doing all that without ever processing the fact that there is an emotional burden that comes along with it, right? then I think you're probably doing yourself a bit of a disservice. And then I think secondly, I wonder about the way in which we discuss patients and discuss things that are sort of secondarily traumatic to us 
as healthcare workers by intellectualizing it. And that's something that does happen, right? I think the way in which we tell stories of things that are just sort of objectively tragic things, I think we'll focus a lot on the actual medicine of it, which I think is valid, right? From a teaching standpoint, if there's a tragic case that happened because of X, Y, or Z, and you can learn from X, Y, or Z in order to improve care going forward, I think you should, right? That you should gain from that. But to do that and then not address the fact that from a human standpoint, a tragedy occurred, I think is also bad. I think I'm sure anyone who's listening who's in medicine has seen that happen before, right? And I think, once again, I think it is natural, right? Because I think the way we approach things like, for example, like an M&M or like a quality improvement standpoint is you're looking for objective ways to improve things. And a discussion of the fact that this bad thing occurred, and even if it's not in the case of like an m you know, like even if it's something that's very like, just unavoidable, like let's say somebody came in after getting like shot in the chest and in the ED, they underwent like an ED thoracotomy in order to try to save their life. And it did not work as many of them do not because if you need an ED thoracotomy, things are not going well. And if your entire discussion is about that and the technique for doing that and everything like that, that's important, right? So that the next person who comes in maybe will do a slightly better job and maybe you will have a better chance of saving them. But the fact is that is that, that entire experience is like insane. Right. And I think, of course, we're inured to it to an extent. But I think if you never address it, I think, once again, you kind of are, you're missing a key component of your education or the way you grow as a person. Right. I mean, we talked about it just the other week where we talked about those residents working in the ED and having their pizza delivery guy come in with multiple gunshot wounds, right? And the trauma of that had lasted through that person's like whole career. Right. Because they never addressed how they actually felt. They used humor as their coping mechanism in that situation. They made a joke and they moved on, which, you know, we put humor amongst the mature coping mechanisms. But at the same time, I'm sure they discussed that case in a more intellectual way. They discussed how the case went, but they never discussed how they felt about it. Right. I think the common way of addressing it nowadays, I hear people say this phrase. It's kind of the thing they throw out. It's like, oh, let's debrief after what just happened. Have you found that debriefing helps? I can't say I've been a part of a ton of them, if I'm being honest with you. It has, I think part of that is just a reflection of my, what my role has been on various teams. I think I have not been directly part of like codes, for example, which is a classic debrief situation. Just the nature of being in urology, fortunately, we're not dealing with codes super often. So it hasn't come up from that standpoint. And then I think when we do have sort of bad things happen to patients, they're inevitably after like weeks, mostly, right? It's like someone who's like declining over time, as opposed to like, oh, suddenly something happened and they died. And so I think that has made it so I think there's less of this active like debrief because it's sort of this like slow motion debrief as all these different things are happening. So I'm not sure I can actually speak to it that well. I think amongst residents... I think we will do sort of an informal debrief where we talk about a case. I think we've, you know, I've had several pretty sad situations, you know. I think most of those situations are people in which, as we say, biology is king. Like, they came in with a really bad problem and they ended up dying from it, despite the various things we tried to do. And that sucked. Was there that much of a specific formal discussion about it? Or was it like within our, like, group chat or in person we talked about how that sucked. More of the second one, probably. How about you? What's your experience been like? 
hasty usually it's like a it's like a hasty thing because we have to move on to other things or or somebody will say the word oh we should debrief about that and everybody kind of agrees but then it never actually happens (laughs) we should debrief okay well debrief complete (laughs) it's good it's good it happens on occasion the best ones i've seen are just like legitimately just letting people say what they feel it can sometimes be difficult though because i don't know if the team that you're on might not be the people you want to share your emotions with. Right? Yeah, that's my reaction, right? I mean, I get along well with my attendings, but if it's an emotionally charged thing that occurred, I'm not trying to be like, hey, doctor attending, <laughs> let me express all my emotions to you. Right. Generally. There are probably exceptions to that, but I think broadly that's true, and I would probably want to talk to different people about it, frankly. Yeah, it's it's and it's hard to find that balance there. Where it's like, what do, what do I feel like talking about in this moment? Like, what do what do I want to address? What do I feel comfortable addressing? Because you don't give yourself any time, so it ultimately it feels kind of like intellectualization, even if you try to debrief. Where you're like, okay, let's just jump into this and address how we feel. And I'm like, time is a is an intrinsic part of processing any emotion. Like, you might not feel anything in a particularly tragic case until you see. I don't know, a family member who's going through something similar or just something that reminds you of the case and suddenly all of it hits you all at once. Yeah. Is that an experience you've had where the sort of the delayed like emotional anchor drags you down out of nowhere? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely thought about things well after the fact. Particularly, I had a, to be very general about it, I had a patient's family. The patient themselves was uptunded in the ICU non-responsive but the family reminded them very much of my family and that kind of messed me up for a while like they just did they had a behavior and as i walked out of the room it was just like oh man that's like exactly what this person would do and in the moment it just kind of passed through my head and then later on i saw that person i was like it just all came back to me all at once kind of the the tragedy of the situation yeah And, and it stuck with me for a while still does to some extent it's not even like a thing i feel bad about necessarily it's just there little little thing you just carry with you yeah no that's interesting i mean i think because i've actually had a somewhat similar experience of that which i guess is, is that counter transference is that the yes i think so yeah i think that is something cause, i mean i figure since we're on the discussion of various psychiatric terms i figure why not throw it in there i think that is i've definitely had that experience where it, it often is, right? It's like patients or patients' families that are just like, I don't know, they're just like really genuinely nice people who kind of like remind you of people you know and people that you could see like you would just be like, you, you could be like family friends with them. You're like, that, that could happen. That could be very reasonable. But instead, your role is as the person who sees them every day and then eventually doesn't see them anymore. I, I've, I think I very much have that experience of, at the time, you're like, okay, well, that is shitty. That sucks that this person went to the ICU and then ended up dying, etc. But then later, later, I've had the thing where, for, for whatever reason, something randomly makes me think of it, like, a month or two later. Have you ever looked up obituaries of patients after the fact? Oh, no, that feels like it would be really rough. Yeah, it's, I, I've done it. It's really, probably, I mean, probably a bad impulse. I don't know why. I've done it multiple times um, for people who I cared about. It Plus and minus to it, actually. On one hand, there actually was some amount of closure that I got from it. You kind of like read about them as a person beyond this series of numbers you looked at every day and this person you spoke to for 15 minutes or whatever. You kind of get a better broad view of what their life was and who they were as a person. 
at least as far as much as you can in like a 200 word paragraph but on the flip side i think it does very much it, it can deepen the wound a little so i don't know yeah yeah it, it's an interesting sort of thing it's like i don't imagine it's super uncommon and somebody who reads personal statements can further confirm that to me that it's not uncommon for people to say they want to be in medicine to like save lives or help people very common thing right but i think a lot of people are in it to sort of intellectually help people and save lives like they're like i i like the idea of doing that and the thing about when these patients remind you of people you know and they form that little bit of emotional attachment you go from like intellectually wanting to save them to emotionally wanting to save them Mm -hmm. and the two are very very different in terms of their sort of impact on your spirit right you know because i want to help all of my patients but the second i get like invested in a patient it's often to my own detriment it doesn't really make my work any better like i do i do a good job for everybody no and one could argue it makes it worse yeah actually right like there's an argument to be made that perhaps you you know if you're the whole reason you're not really supposed to treat family and friends right is that emotional involvement will generally make your clinical decisions more questionable sure but there's also a balance if you're completely if you're so dispassionate about your patients that you're not even like thinking of them as people you may also make bad decisions sure well yeah you'll just you're you're not going to advocate for them at that point so i i think there certainly is a is a middle ground i think it's one i think it's one that isn't actually a good like here's the answer i think it is something i would suspect with all my years of experience within medicine something that you probably have to struggle with a bit for your entire career and find this place that works well for you and your emotional state and your mental state right and to an extent, also, you need to find the direction of your career that fits the way your brain works, right? Like, if you're somebody who gets extremely emotionally invested in patients easily, maybe you shouldn't do, like, hemonk. Or maybe you should. Maybe you should. But, like, you have to be aware of what that's going to do to you. Right, right. Or, like, I, I've heard this about pediatrics where people are like, I can't do peds. It's too sad because they don't want to see sick kids. Whereas other people don't deal with that at all you know if anything they think oh pediatrics is better because you get to spend time with kids who bring joy to them in some way shape or form so everybody approaches it very differently i think when we bring it back to intellectualization that's a situation in which we feel as though intellectualization is the right way to go right we think uh, if i keep this intellectual if i keep this as a problem that i need to solve i can protect myself from feeling these things but in reality, over the long term, you are going to pick up those things that you feel something about. And if you stick purely to that intellectual course, you're going to ignore the things that hurt you. And they're going to come out in other ways. Whereas if you instead say, like, I need to address how I feel about these things, if it's just by myself or with people that I trust, I, I need to address how they make me feel so that I can continue to operate intellectually and that when I get emotionally invested, it doesn't destroy me thereafter. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, yeah, a, a good way of putting it. I think a lot of what has shaped my response historically to the idea of intellectualization being an immature defense mechanism is that I think when we learn it, we have to learn things in boxes. Sure. Right? It's the way you have to learn things. This is A, this is B. And I think in reality, for a lot of these, there are elements that are both A and B. I think countertransfer is actually another good example. In general, probably bad. You should not be like, oh, this patient's my family member. That's like not good. But like fundamentally, what a lot of a lot of empathy generation 
does come from the fact that you can in some way see that person in a different light than maybe just another patient, right? At the end of the day, truly, maybe you don't even parse it that way, but that's probably what your brain is doing, right? And so some element of countertransference is actually probably not bad, but it's all about like what is a derangement of that to where it is counterproductive. And I think intellectualization to your point is a similar way. Right. So if you use intellectualization to avoid your emotions, it's going to be dangerous. But if you use intellectualization to address your emotions at the appropriate time, it can be helpful, right? Like counter-transference, if you think every patient is your family member, you're probably going to go a little insane and you might treat them in ways that are very inappropriate. But if you think to yourself, what would it be like if this person was my family member? How would I treat them? Or how would I want this person to be treated if they were my mother, my sister, my father, whoever? That will change the way you look at them. It's not that they're your family member, but they are someone's family member. Right, exactly. And I mean, I'm sure you've been around when attendings have said, like, if you were my father, this is what I'd recommend. And I'm not sure where the medical field stands on that as like a line of speaking to a patient. But personally, I've always found it to be a very impactful thing. Or or if this were me, this is what I would want done. Right. And I think as long as you're honest about that, I think it is really powerful. I, I mean, I think as a patient, I would react strongly to that in a positive way. And I think patients do tend to. There is an intrinsic honesty to that, that I think kind of cuts through a lot of the other things. Like it's not about like a 30% chance of whatever. It's just like, based on everything that I know about you, and what I know about your condition as a doctor, this is what I would want for someone I care about. And that cuts through a lot of the intellectualization to an extent, right? At the end of the day, it is, you know, there is, oh, there can be all these statistics about whatever, but at the end of the day, it is binary for that patient, right? Either I do better or I don't, either I live or I die. And so I think the ability to use your emotional connection to push past intellectualization, I think is also very valuable. And so I think, yeah, I think to your point, I think being able to intellectually approach things is valuable, but only if you're willing to let yourself feel the emotions as well. Because I think if you don't, I think it probably personally will make things worse for you in your life, as we pointed out. But I think also as, as a physician, I think will negatively impact the way you, um, you deal with patients. With all my years of experience, I can say that pretty many, many. Uh, we, we've been doing this for a not insignificant amount of time. I mean, yeah, combined nearly five years of residency between the two of us. So we're basically in attending. Pretty much. Pretty much. Practically, practically running this place. <laughs> right. So I'm looking, I'm looking at our list. And I, I, we got most of these. I, I don't know how we're going to get this last one in, though. It's a tricky one. I don't really know. I mean, like, okay. Return to Jafar. That was easy, right? Sure. Easy peasy, no problem. Jurassic Park, that was easy. Already seen it. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Done. Right? Call back to Toasted Buns. We got that one. Perfect. Nailed it. Space Station, I think, on a re-listen is going to seem a little, like, a bit of a stretch. But, like, I don't know. It felt right at the moment, which is why I said you know, it. I think initially, when you bring it up, it's like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But then as you play it out, you're like, oh, okay, this was a bit. Clearly, right. this was a this, bit. It right? feels very natural to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think you needed to actually go to the space station for the purposes of the bit, but, you know, I I appreciate, you know, you got that Daniel Day-Lewis shit going <laughs> right, on. Right, right. I commit, I commit, I commit fully. And that's how we cross Daniel Day-Lewis off our list. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, that, well, that actually was very, that was very natural. I was trying to think, I was like, uh, maybe I could mention, like, Lincoln, try to bring Lincoln into this somehow. I was like, how could I... 
what's the connection there? Oh, it yeah. was, oh man. A lot okay. of people look for the Lincoln thing, but it's 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 a classic misdirect. <laughs> classic sleight of hand. <laughs> On a, in, in an auditory medium. <laughs> exactly. Classic. You know, you look at the Lincoln, the cards in my other hand. <laughs> right. That old idiom. That old phrase. Wow. Well, Samir, I think this has been an episode. This has been a session. It totally yeah. has been a session. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. As always, our theme music is nothing slash anything from Westy Reflector. You can follow us on Instagram at MWS Podcast. We are on iTunes along with many other podcasting apps. And maybe one day someone will use that uh, email we set up, session at gmail.com. Shoot us, uh, shoot us a message. Maybe you can be the first. I don't know. You could try it. Try it. Maybe something cool will happen. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey!